With Long Island Local News, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. Mark Harrington reporting on Newsday.com that the Long Island Power Authority is proposing a new rate structure for 2024 that will reward those who shift more of their usage to off-peak power periods with an innovative first-year money-back guarantee if customers' bills rise under the new plan. LIPA has had time of day or time of use rates in the past, but under the new, more simplified structure, most customers will automatically be enrolled next year and must opt out if they don't want to participate. The new structure imposes a higher rate during the peak hours 3 to 7 p.m. and provides discounts for those who shift usage off those peak times. Weekends, nights, and federal holidays would all be considered off-peak. There also will be a super off-peak rate that could save customers money by shifting more of their usage overnight. LIPA estimates the vast majority of customers will save about $3.50 a month under the new rates, even without changing their habits, and save even more if they do shift their habits. Pre-cooling rooms with air conditioning, for instance, before the higher 3 p.m. peak begins could save customers up to $8.50 a month while charging an electric vehicle after 10 p.m. could save more than $50 a month. The new rates, if approved by the LIPA board in March, would be phased in starting in February 2024, though customers can opt in starting this fall if they choose. Existing time-of-use plans will phase out next year. In other news, a federal judge has approved a $250,000 settlement agreement between Suffolk County and a Holtzville man who was shot by a police officer after he dragged the officer during a January 2017 traffic stop. Court papers show Grant Parpan reporting on Newsday.com that U.S. District Judge Frederick Block approved the settlement Monday of the civil complaint filed by Michael Shear, 39, against Suffolk County and four officers involved in the traffic stop. The county admitted no wrongdoing in the settlement, and Shear agreed to release all claims related to the lawsuit, according to settlement documents filed in the Eastern District Court of New York. Sheriff filed a lawsuit in June 2018, alleging police used excessive force when they used a taser on him, shot him in the shoulder and punched, kicked and struck him with a baton um, by officers following a traffic stop that led to a police chase once he fled the scene. He also alleged in the suit filed by attorneys at Leocas Law in New York that the county improperly trained officers and failed to improperly investigate citizen complaints of misconduct. Here in Southampton, reading um, a piece by Christine Sampson, Sampson, uh, Chrissy Sampson, on the East Hampton Star website. I'm going to read the whole thing. You can follow along on easthamptonstar.com about uh, the joint purchase with the Sag Harbor School District of land on Marsden Street, Southampton Town, according to uh, Ms. Sampson, is willing to make good on its offer of $6 million 
from the CPF money toward that joint purchase, but on at least three conditions. According to Tommy John Schiavone, a Southampton town board member, the town board will agree to schedule the required public hearing if the school district will commit to installing a natural grass surface and dark skies compliant lighting for the sports field it hopes to build on the site. The district must also agree to put forward a good faith cost estimate of the build-out, Mr. Schiavone said, calling it only fair to taxpayers. Quote, we've extended an offer, Mr. Schiavone uh, said by phone on web- Wednesday. He is also a former Sag Harbor School Board member uh, with Community F- uh, Preservation Fund purchases. He noted, quote, we get to put on some covenants and restrictions. The hotly debated Marsden Street athletic field proposal was first announced in September when the school district put on hold a bond vote that would have covered upgrades to the athletic field uh, facilities at Mash Park, where most of its fall and spring teams practice and play games. In November, Sag Harbor voters gave the school district the green light to spend money from its facilities capital reserve account totaling $3.25 million toward the property purchase and closing costs. The original plan, as communicated to the press by a town attorney at the time, was for the Southampton Town Board to hold a public hearing required before CPF funds can be spent. In October, that did not happen as two versions of the narrative emerged. Quote, we started with a public park. They changed it to public school infrastructure. Mr. Schiavone said school officials have maintained all along that they said athletic fields. According to the council person, the conditions were communicated orally by Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman in mid-December, a few days before a December 21st community forum, uh, during which school officials answered questions from residents. Sandy Cruel, the Sag Harbor School board president said on Wednesday that, quote, there have been conversations, but we have nothing in writing from Southampton Town at this point regarding Marsden covenants and restrictions. We're still in negotiations, she said. The district had invited the town uh, to the December 21st forum, but unfortunately they were unavailable, Ms. Cruel said. She reiterated assurances made by Jeff Nichols, the school district superintendent, during Monday's school board meeting Uh, There will be another public forum soon, most likely next week, for all parties to come together for discussion. Uh, She added, I know that we'd love to have more conversations. Mr. Nichols said by phone Wednesday that the district had already agreed to adhere to Dark Sky's policy in its efforts to be good neighbors. He also said he has had additional conversations more recently with uh, Mr. Schneiderman pertaining to the athletic field surface. The district has discovered a hybrid natural synthetic product that might be a nice compromise, Mr. Nichols said. Quote, we'll look uh, to have this product presented at the next forum so the community can learn more about it. Meanwhile, close to 300 people in the community have signed a change.org petition urging the town board to schedule the public hearing. The petition was created jointly this week by the Sag Harbor Elementary School PTA and Pearson Middle and High School PTSA. That Christine Sampson's piece on EastHamptonStar.com. Let's read the weather in Amagansett. We're going to be Uh, speaking with Lydia, hold on, I think her name is Lydia uh, Maria Petrosino. She's going to be doing a great uh, joint um, lecture 
on the astro- uh, astronomical calendar. Um, it's a it's a co-hosted event between uh, the Amagansett Library and um, the the Hampton Observatory. So you can get ready for that at the bottom of this hour. Meanwhile, today in Amagansett, a chance of showers before four, then rain after that period. High near fifty one degrees south. East wind 11 to 15 miles per hour tonight. Rain and possibly a thunderstorm. Temperatures rising to around 51 degrees by 2 a.m. Warm tonight. Breezy with a south wind 15 to 24 miles per hour. Gusts as high as 45. So make sure all items are secure on your properties. Right now it's 42 degrees. Continuing our uh, heart edition of the heart with Nora Jones. My heart is full. We've got Daisy Blue Groff and Esther Sparks, both with tracks called Full Heart before Sia's Elastic Heart. And then our first featured local artist, The Second Hands, with Heart to Heart on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, the weekday morning and midnight show, The Heart of the East End. Uh, recorded live in Studio 51, 9 to 11, Monday through Friday morning with a replay at midnight. Stay with us. My heart is open, open, open. Eyes are wide, wide, My mind is free, free, free. My hands are tied, tied, tied. I can see, see, see. People hurting. Watching, watching, watching. Some are listening, listening, listening. Some are hearing, hearing, hearing. Many talking, talking, talking. Others working, working, working. Are we broken, broken? Are we broken, broken? Are we broken, broken? Are we broken? I am standing. Full. 
on WLIWFM's Heart of the East End. Esther Sparks now, Full Heart, from the 2020 record Drowning, Rising, and the Space in Between. Mine. 
said that you are mine You told me I am your heart And I could see that it was true I could feel the flesh, the blood But not as me and I could hear the beating Esther Sparks leading us to the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour on Thursday morning. That means it's just after 1 a.m. on Friday if you're listening to the replay. And that means it's time for our Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Riss Gallery. Very excited to welcome on our next guest for the first time, Lydia Maria uh, Petrosino. Excuse me. Not only is she a programs assistant at the American Museum of Natural History, she's been a lecturer at the Hayden Planetarium for years. And tonight, uh, she's going to be doing a lecture uh, for the Hamptons Observatory and the Amagansett Library on the astronomical calendar. Good morning, Lydia. Thank you for being with us. Good morning. I am super excited. I'm super excited. Let's start. Let's start from the very beginning and just tell me uh, what is archaeoastronomy. Well, you know, it's a relatively new field that started in the 1960s when there was the rediscovery of Stonehenge, um, and archaeoastronomy is sort of like the anthropology of astronomy to just you know to distinguish it from the history of astronomy, which means 
we pay attention to the astronomical practices of ancient cultures. We look at their religion, their mythologies, and we try to figure out how their astronomy fit into their cultures. Uh, We look at their calendar systems, ancient cultures. We are very interested in their mathematics, their counting systems, also their navigation, and I guess most importantly that we can see their architecture, um, meaning maybe the buildings that uh, we call megaliths that are orientated towards the sun or the moon or even Venus. So I just was in uh, a, an amateur astronomer of my life, and certainly I know the formula for calculating how many stars there are in our in our universe. Is that Drake's but I found equation? It so much more interesting looking to uh, ancient cultures and how they viewed the nighttime sky. So I mentioned I mentioned Drake's equation, but that's not what that is. Drake's equation is using the stars in the universe to calculate uh, the likelihood of intelligent life. Yes, and then yes, you have that correct. Okay, and so but we're not really looking for that. No, that, you know, we're just looking back to see how every culture and every culture, of course, looked at the nighttime sky. The Sumerians were the first ones noticed that what happened in the heavens closely resembled what was happening to them on Earth. And they could, you know, calculate from looking at the stars, like when their rainy season would start, when they'd need to start plowing uh, for the winter or for the, uh, for the harvest. And it's, everything was very, very connected stars in our ancient cultures. I mean, the Sumerians and So were... I find it fascinating. And so I do I. Looking all the time for different and... things that, you know, uh, apply now to us that were really started so many you know, centuries ago. If you're on speakerphone, uh, take yourself off, because I, I hear there, there might be a little bit of an echo uh, that might, or, or if you're using AirPods. Um, we, we were so close no, with that track. Um, the Sumerians I'm were... I'm not using either. Let oh, okay. what we can do here. The Sumerians were so advanced, and... Oh, they, they were, that was the culture that really gave us our first writing system. Uh, they also invented sails, so ships could sail. Uh, they invented the plow. Uh, and they had uh, a very good concept in their minds of how the stars worked and how they affected life on Earth. And so they were very, very well charted. Uh, the Sumerians even have the, uh, the cuneiform uh, tablets, Right. Where they calculated, or thought, or thought they did, even the distance in the constellations, how far they were from each other. They even named all the stars. Uh, it's quite fascinating, to be honest with you. And even caves back over twelve thousand years ago in Lascaux, France, you know, have depictions of, for example, Taurus the bull, and they have the little uh, six stars above his head, which are the Pleiades. So they really, really knew their nighttime sky. And I know that there, as far as uh, like spirituality is concerned, uh, there's a lot of um, myths. I, I believe I'm right in this that uh, match up with stories from the Bible. Though the Sumerians uh, predate that time uh, by how you know? Absolutely. I mean, the, many, we, many, many years. The most fascinating discoveries were the flood tablets that we found that are some, you know, from the Sumerian period of time. So stories like the flood were, were before even the Bible, part of the ancient culture. 
It's there so... must have been something that did happen. Right. Uh, you know, for so many different cultures to all have different flood stories, and they do. You know, I, lo- I, I love talking about time, especially as we're on the precipice of, of possibly uh, some sort of decision to to do away with, with daylight savings time and, and decide either uh, to stay, uh, you know, one way or the other. There's, there's one way that's better for the body and the, and the other way is, is better for the, the economy. Um, but, it, you know, it, when we think about stuff like that, we think about, uh, you know, people seem to think time has been static uh, or the calendar has been static, but that's certainly not the case. And, and every, every culture uh, has changed it. A bit, so uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit Absolutely. about how the sky has affected how the modern calendar has evolved. Well, in in many ways, our you know our concepts of time are just our concepts of time. Correct. The Babylonians actually put together the uh, concepts of the sixty minutes and the sixty seconds because sixty seemed like a perfect number to divide so much into. But every single culture has contributed to to our modern calendar. Um, the Chinese, for example, uh, had an incredible uh, background in stars. They're one of the only cultures that ever charted Halley's Comet over a period of thousands and thousands of years, even drew pictures of how, what, how it looked and when it came back. And in addition to that, we have the, the Greeks, who started with their incredible algebra and geometry, really being able to measure things that were happening in the sky and how they affected uh, life on Earth. And it goes on and on. So every culture at some point, with their mythology, absolutely, to explain what they were seeing, has affected our modern culture and our modern calendar. I'm going to speak this uh, next week more or less on the uh, Greco-Roman calendar, and the first thing I'm going to tell people is that if I was telling them about January and February and I was sitting here thousands of years ago, I'd have nothing to say because in the in the Roman calendar, they actually eliminated 60 days of the, of the year because they were so actually f- afraid of that time that they, 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 they didn't even count it. Whoa. They started off with a 10-month calendar started in March. That's like uh, that's, why. that's like not having a, a level 13 in a, in a building. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. So how, so how did that work? They just, they, it worked for centuries, and the first king of, of, um, of Rome realized that this just couldn't keep going on this way. We just couldn't ignore 60 days, 63 days of the month, of the year, but that's what they had been doing. So, you know, in order to appease the gods, they named the first month January after the god Janus. Right. And Janus was the god who looked at comings and goings, beginnings and ends. He was part of transitions and transformations. So they named the first month after him. The second month, February, means to purify and if you realize, that, as we do in modern times now, most of our purification type of sacrifices and feasts happen during the month of February. And that was just to keep purifying that month so that we'd be ready for March. March was really the beginning of the, of the year, named after the god uh, Mars. And 
And that's why if we look at things, so for example, if we, everything was just numbered originally, that's why October, even though it, OCT stands for eight, is the 10th month of the year. And December, CEC for 10 is the 12th. Oh. Because those two, those two uh, months were added in ancient, ancient Rome. First wow. Time. So, so but when I asked you, when I asked about how it worked... When they when they were in those sixty days, would they just they just wouldn't say anything? Like I mean, did they did they wouldn't? No, mostly everything came to a, a stop because, as you remember, there was no such thing as electricity. It was very brutally cold. The sun was very low in the sky. People were very afraid that the sun wouldn't come back, so to speak, on the winter solstice. So a lot of those feasts and everything that happened around December is all as a result of that. In ancient Rome, they used to have a, a festival called Saturnalia for the god Saturn. And that happened in December, right after the winter solstice. And it went on for 12 days, similar to our 12 days of Christmas. So there's an awful lot of connection our modern, our modern celebrations, our modern calendar, and the ancient world. All right. Well, we're super excited about your lecture. So it's next Thursday at 7 p.m. You can go to hamptonsobservatory.org, I believe is the website, uh, to find out more information about it. But before I let you go, is there anything that you want to make sure uh, one of your favorite aspects of of this, of the astronomical calendar and, and how uh, the sky is, has helped to evolve to where we are now uh, before I let you go, Lydia. Well, thank you so much, Gianna. I think that it's just fascinating that our modern calendar, our modern celebrations, many of the things that happen to us happen, uh, or many of our celebrations happen because of the sky. The more I'm going to be speaking to people about what we call cross-quarter days. Those are the days between the solstices and the equinoxes. And some of our most famous celebrations happen on those days. And they happen because they were, again, signified by our ancient ancestors to be very important days between the solstices and the equinoxes. For example, that's why we celebrate Halloween. That's why we celebrate May Day. Those days are all cross-quarter days between the equinoxes and the solstices. So I find that fascinating also uh, the way that they aligned their temples and their megaliths to, to either the moon or the sun and some even to Venus. They were very, very aware of what was happening in the nighttime sky and more aware that it affected everything on Earth. So I just I love that part of it. And I love the part that many of our many of the words we use today, for example, uh, there was a, a constellation in the sky called Cetus the Whale, still is. I see this the sea monster, either one. We've made it nicer for a whale than as opposed to a sea monster. But there was a star in that constellation that was so incredible to our ancient ancestors. Some days it would be very bright, some days it would be very dim. So they called that star Mira, and that's where we get our name for miracle, because they thought this was a miraculous thing happening in the sky. So there's so many parallels between our ancient world and our modern world. Keeps me coming back to Akio Astronomy. I am so excited for your lecture, Lydia. 
uh, Maria Petrosino. I'm looking forward to it. So it's a and again. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. It's been fascinating and a lot of fun. Thank you. I would love to have you back, and I'd love to have you in in the studio uh, so we can be face to face. Very excited about next Thursday at seven o'clock. Um, the co-hosted event by the Hamptons Observatory and the Emma Gensett Library, a lecture about archaeoastronomy and how the sky above has affected the evolution of the modern calendar with Lydia Maria Petrosino. I'm Gianna Volpe. This was the Hot Sights and Sounds segment underwritten by William Risk Gallery. Uh, this is Sia, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
From Sia to the Second Hands, featured local artists ahead of Neil Young and Benjamin Todd on WLI WFM. Still blue Tomorrow might rain And we'll both feel pain 
is cruel and death is kind And a heart of gold is hard to find A heart of gold is hard to find Ah, nice surprise putting together this morning's playlist. First time I heard the title track of Benjamin Todd's 2019 record, A Heart of Gold is Hard to Find. I recently tried to put together an all-music heart edition of The Heart for You and ran into a problem. I had so many heart songs, and then I ended up trying to split them into a heart edition and then a broken heart edition bringing us to uh, one of my favorite tracks from Old Dominion's 2017 record, Happy Endings, No Such Thing as a Broken Heart. I got Bobby Vinton on deck after that. We'll see what I close with. I've got um, many options if we have any more time after that. Uh, Deep bow to both of my guests this morning, Jeff Sussman and Lydia Marie Petrosino, as well as our underwriters, Green Hill Kitchen and William Risk Gallery. I'm Gianna Volpe, and I am so grateful to all of you listener supporters as well out there uh, of listener-supported WLIWFM, Long Island's only local NPR radio station, 88.3 on your FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you are at WLIW.org slash radio, where you can find all the shows if you miss them and want to check back, as well as the playlists. So check it out. There's lots of great stuff there, including all of our video recorded performance interviews with local artists right here in WLIWFM Studio 51. Click the fi- Studio 51 tab right on WLIW.org slash radio. The drums and the guitars all faded Was the best they could do good enough Or did the heartland just swallow them up How did my mom and my dad ever do it If there were struggles and we never knew it I guess they had each other kids when they see all of this bullshit that goes down on tv when the whole world is down on its luck i gotta make sure they keep their chin up cry when it hurts laugh when it's funny chase after the dream don't chase after the money and no we got each other that's what's up cause you can't keep the ground from shaking no matter how hard you try you can't keep such thing as a broken heart you gotta love like there's no such thing as a broken heart 
such thing as a broken heart Cause you can't keep the ground from shaking No matter how hard you try You can't keep the sunsets from fading You gotta treat your life like you're jumping off a rope swing Baby, cause the whole thing's really just a shot in the dark You gotta love like there's no such thing as a broken heart thing has a broken heart A love song for the listeners of WLIWFM and the station itself. Leading you into the NPR news break with a little walk the moon. Eat your heart wake out. Up, make a fuss and spill your guts for me. 